Here we are. We're going to welcome into season number five. Season five of the 1% in recovery. And today we are going to be talking with Promises CEO David Ludlow. But before we begin, remember, recovery is beautiful. Your EQ is your IQ. And you cannot outthink an emotional issue. Now out, the recovery growth scorecard. Using metrics to start your healing process, start detoxing, get those, elevate your dopamine, your serotonin, your oxytocin, your endorphins, and it kind of gets you going on that first step. It is free. Let me repeat that. (laughs) It's free. Just go to my website, www.lifeiswonderful.love, L-O-V-E, or email me, Hugo V, that's V as in Victor, at lifeiswonderful.love. And that way you can kind of begin this journey, this journey into moving forward. Also, you can also book a call with yours truly free, again, free, 15 minutes to just see if you're designed to kind of help you getting on to understand a specific step, understand something about recovery, relationships, and get you moving forward. Because as you're going to see, and you're going to listen to David and I, We love recovery, and we want people to get it. We want you to live your best life. Now, we're going to jump in to episode one of season five, and let me welcome. How are you doing, David? I tell you what, after that intro, man, I am fired up. That is that that, that man. That's that's wonderful, man. What a way to kick off uh, season five, right? Episode season one, man, and twenty twenty four. Twenty twenty four, man. Yeah. I am fired up, man. <laughs> man that's what it's all about. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> Tell actually, let's start off with something. Yeah. Tell the audience something you love. Just something truly, whether it could be about a sports team, it could be about Houston, it could be about your growing up, your tennis. Tell yeah, something. I mean, you know, I think. You know, if I want to keep it simple, it's it's all those things. It's the life experiences, the good and the bad that allow me to be where I'm at today. And 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 what I have today is something that money could never buy because I chased that for the longest time and it never worked. Um, is that I just have peace today. Um, I mean, and that and that's what really brings me and gives me the most joy. Um, and I think that that's what allow has allowed me to be successful in my recovery journey, not only just um, with me personally, but also my work life, relationship lives, you know, all those types of things that recovery uh, has done for me. It, it's just I have peace today. It's just as simple as that. It's amazing. So many things that we search for can be accomplished almost for free. <laughs> Finding peace, health, all those things. Well, I like to just kind of just jump in. Let's get into question number one. Okay. David, now you are the CEO of Promises Treatment Center, Brazos Valley. You know, the old statistic was is that people who actually had the money or the insurance would go to treatment 6.2 times. And you would sometimes think, man, what a waste of time and money. You think someone would finally get it. It's like, what are we doing here? And we're not even talking about the people that just do outpatient or 12-step rooms. Tell us how the old method is, is that treatment centers would also follow the 12-step model. Mm -hmm. You know, that was started with Bill W. 
Tell us how what Promise is doing now. What are the success stories? How they're looking at treatment differently? Obviously, it's a conversation with insurance. Obviously, it's a conversation of looking at your numbers on how to really be more effective. So yeah. here's the floor. Tell us what makes Promise's such a valuable asset here in the recovery treatment arena and what you guys are moving forward here, what you guys accomplished in 2023, because you're telling me some wonderful numbers yeah, and what you see here in 2024, not only at your facility, but at promises throughout the country. Sure. Across the board. You know, that's a great question. You know, when you start looking at the average treatment stay, if you want to call it $30,000, right? If you, if you look at that 6.2 model, you're talking about $200,000 um, and money spent on recovery and people are not recovering. And it's probably not over six months. That's probably over right. two to three years. And right. so a person is struggling for three years that they do not needless, needless suffering. Yeah. Well, we've suffered enough. Needless suffering, right? And and because of two things. Um, a, it, in my opinion, I think our company stance is that you, you know, whether a 28 day program, a 30 day program, you are just, you just aren't ready to attack some of the things to establish a foundation to be sustainable in recovery, right? It's all underlined. It's all embedded. It all comes back to one common thing and that's trauma. It, it's all embedded in some layer of that. And we just don't, we, and all, all treatments uh, centers probably to that point, we just don't have somebody long enough in that initial point of care. You know, you get somebody, they come in the detox for five to seven days. They feel like utter crap. Then you can't start getting into stuff when you are not physically in a right space. You're obviously not mentally in a right space. You're in a fog. You're in a fog. And then that fog might last another two, three weeks, right? And so you can't expect folks when you start, and and, and I'm a I come from a 12-step fellowship as well. And you went into treatment. And, and I went and I went through treatment. There are just some things you are just not ready for early on. And so what the treatment space had been asking for, providers, insurance companies had been asking for is, A, we're not going to pay for 12-step because it's free, right? And, and that totally makes sense. But what are we doing differently? And so promises over the last year um, – we developed and and designed a measured based care skills based program. So somebody enters our program, uh, whether it's my facility at Brazos Valley or one of our other nine treatment facilities, anybody that enters, say on Monday across our enterprise is working on the same skill set. So we have universally kind of unilaterally spread that out across all of our centers. And what that looks like, um, our measured based care program is is teaching folks how to respond differently when they get dysregulated and then so they can get a, a a better response right and so early on in treatment we don't know how to respond to things because we're highly dysregulated everything agitates the living hell out of us because a we just don't feel well we have all these things and so we take our patients through a a, a 28 day you know, a four week program, um, looking at some real life scenarios and really having some some good conversations on, well, if you get upset by this, your usual response was A, which led to very negative consequences usually with B. 
And what are some things that we can do to respond differently from that? And what we have seen since we rolled this curriculum out, um, the numbers just work. We are, we are seeing folks that are staying engaged in treatment. They're staying longer in treatment. They're not leaving against treatment advice or against medical advice, which is a great thing, right? We want folks to be engaged in treatment. But not only that, we're not, we're not shoving down a lot of things like you must do this in order to recovery. We're just teaching basic skills to respond differently when we get dysregulated so we can have a better outcome because it's all about the outcomes. Then, then we can start looking at that continuum of care from, from aftercare, whether it be PHP or IOP. But the other key critical component that we are focusing on is having the family involvement in that process. Because if there is not a buy-in from your family, and it doesn't have to be your immediate family, your family could be, you know, some friends, some confidants, you know, some, some, you know, uh, you know, pastors or people that have maybe perhaps some influence in your life. When we develop a treatment plan that incorporates those things and we bring those folks early on in the process, as we can see that continuum of care, the results have proven, and we've already seen that to be fairly successful. Um, our rate of readmit, so usually people don't readmit if they're not relapsing. So we've seen that dramatically decrease uh, by about 15 to 20%, which is incredible. Right. Um, so what we're seeing and what we're doing works, um, and we're just excited to see how this uh, continues in for 2024 for us as well. Yeah, because I saw some old numbers, well, not really old numbers, but numbers about treatment centers is that when people would leave like 28 facilities is that, but I think it was like seven to eight percent would almost use within the first two days of leaving treatment. 100%. And then almost like 20% would would use between the first two weeks. And so yep. if it's like, you don't want to be like, uh, just keep them uh, safe. You also want to, you know, be able to, uh, you know, move things forward. You know, and it is about keeping them safe, though, at the end of the day, um, because we don't want our folks, you know, and even, and even if somebody decided to leave early, you know, and it could be for, for a variety number of reasons, some valid, maybe some not valid. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Right. But but we want to we want to set folks up for success. Right. And right. so. It, it, it's all about establishing we're like we're not talking about discharge planning the week they're they're leaving. We, right. We're developing an aftercare plan and discharge planning. We're talking about that at admission. Right. We're, we're 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 finding out, you know, because um, so many of our folks, you know, that come into treatment today, it's not just one thing. I mean, they, you know, they're dealing with substance use uh, disorder. They're, they're dealing with mental health. A lot of them are dealing with with underlying medical conditions. And you can't start to start treating one unless you have some balance in the others. And right. so aftercare appointments for PHPs or for, or for, for, for primary physicians, um, psych appointments. We have, we have on, on board a psychiatrist, you know, with, with, with us at Promises. So we can, we can establish this, this continuum. Of course, at the end of the day, it's up to the individual. Right. But we can at least provide something very structured and concrete no matter what day that they leave treatment, hopefully on completion day. Right. But if they did decide to leave early, at least we're giving them some something very concrete 
that they can take with them. Not only th- not only that aftercare plan with, with with probably some preset appointments and some other resources, but they're also going to be able to leave with their program book that's got some very actionable skills. Right. It reminds me is as I. When I was working with, uh, I went to the University of Texas in Austin, and when I worked, you know, tried to promote UT at college fairs at high schools, and they would say, "Is is you don't start preparing for college the summer between junior and senior year." I wish I you would should have known start that, that like <laughs> freshman, <laughs> yeah, for freshman yeah. sophomore year of high school. It's the same thing is is you don't go to career day or the career office at whatever your university is. Is I need some interviews spring semester when you're graduated yeah. you need to they're like well we don't know who you are you should have come freshman year we could have figured out who you are and then what companies to direct you it's the same thing here same thing the earlier you start learning about resources the better you equip so you can almost it's like it takes a while to digest this stuff oh yeah and you can't do it in 24 hours <clears throat> and so yeah the more days you have or weeks i think is vital Hundred percent, hundred percent vital. Um, you know, the longer that we can keep somebody, and again, and when I talk about when I talk about like the treatment, say it's not about just you know like detox and residential care, but I mean it's the step downs, it's, it's PHP, it's IOP, sober living, some sort of aftercare plan. Right. What we have seen, if that somebody, yeah, if somebody stays in that continuum, man, they're the, you know the success rate is high. Right. Very high because every day you could get a little bit stronger, get Absolutely. a little more under structure, and yeah. then it's almost like to me is is almost like you need like a good structure for ninety days or a little to. bit more. I mean, with the, the numbers have always proven: the longer you stay in whatever type of environment, your chances of moving forward and 100%. not thinking, "Oh, the drink, the gamble, the pill is going to escape." Because I'm yep. feeling so anxious or I'm depressed or I'm sad or I'm angry or whatever it is. And realizing there's another, like you said, there's another way to respond to whatever life is going to throw at you. Because sometimes life is sunshine. <laughs> and sometimes it is not. <laughs> and snow, but, or sometimes it's thunder. Yes. You know, you have those days where, you know, you're like and sometimes on top both on of the, the same world. day. Right. Yeah, could, could be. Could be the same day. All right. Let's jump into question two. Yeah, I think yeah. this is very important. We're talking especially to corporation. Mm. You know, people who have, obviously, the majority of people work in small businesses. So yeah. small businesses don't have as many resources yeah. as your Fortune 500. But these are statistics from the U.S. Office of Personal Management. 232 million workdays are lost just just to alcohol abuse. Mm. That translates to $26 billion of lost productivity. But corporations are constantly almost pushing a lot of happy hours, socializing. And there's, and look, I believe the best way to engage your customer is face-to-face, some type of interaction. But it doesn't have to involve alcohol. It could just be a conversation like with most people. They want to talk about their hobbies, sports teams, family, their pets, their kids. They might even talk just about what, what they want to do in their in the future. But corporations do subtly push a lot of alcohol or gambling. And what would you want to tell like CEOs that they really need to understand about alcohol and how, even though there's these movements now about a lot of dry January, mm-hmm. sober curious, yeah. not even, we're not even talking about treatment. We're just talking yeah. about how people, how 
alcohol, like I always say, the addiction is the lie. The alcohol gambling lies to you. You're never going to be Mr. Cool. You're never going to get rich drinking and gambling. So here's the floor. What what do you want to tell not only CEOs, but just other people in like power around what they do within the work environment around sure. alcohol? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a, you know, a couple of things that are very, very, very simple to, to hit on. We talk about productivity. You talked about that productivity number. You know, we hire people to be productive in the day-to-day course of their business. We want we want actual we, value for the money we are paying you. You would think, <laughs> right? That's the goal, right? Um, not and then only complain that, why right, you're not right, hitting your right. numbers. And then, I mean, but but then it, when you start looking at say, you know, and especially in the manufacturing realm, the the number of of, of workplace injury related um, loss of productivity. Not only that, but but just the harm that that some of those accidents can can harm or to, that can do to a particular workforce, man. That it's just dangerous. At the end of the day, I mean, it's just dangerous. And so, not only that, j- just the overall increase in healthcare costs, um, all directly relatable to a CEA to a CEO that has a bottom line that they have to to adhere to, right? Whether to a board of directors, uh, to to their stakeholders. Um, it comes down to productivity. And so if we can take away or eliminate some of these barriers, and that's what they are, um, I think the numbers will, will prove, will prove out well. It's gotten better, I think, over the last couple of years. I think, um, I think there's, we've seen much more of a trend where it's, it's, it's much more kind of acceptable now where people are kind of like, it's cool to get sober today, Right. And I think we're seeing some of that translate down where a, a lot of companies are at least getting more open to the idea um, about about kind of re- promoting a recovery workplace environment. We're or at seeing, least like an alcohol-free event. Yeah, an alcohol-free event or just providing a substitute, right? Besides I mean, water. B- besides water, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I went to an event the other day with with my girlfriend with that that. She she works for a law firm. Um, we went to their Christmas dinner, but with with at the, at the place we went for the dinner was also a wine tasting that they brought in, and it was really cool. We're both a recovery; we don't drink. I mean, at some point, there I mean, people had four or five glasses of wine sitting in front of them. We're just looking at this like, what is going on here? And Are you was, the only two not drinking? We were about the only two not drinking. And it was like, well, don't you want some? No, well, let us get you a mocktail. Or that, like, I mean, I'm good with my Topo Chico. But what I found, though, is as long as I just had something in my hand, that, that you know, the Topo Chico or the glass of water or whatever, I can fancy it up. I mean, I can put some mint and some lime in it. Yeah. Who's going to know the difference, right? Exactly. But at least, folks, these days, it feels like we've at least, I think, kind of turned a corner where people are at least talking about it today. And that's the first step. Right. You know, and that, people that's are talking like, about it. Almost like in that accusatory tone. I remember early on, you know, I've got, I've been in this game for over 26 years. And they would say, but why aren't you drinking? Is it, did you join, did you change religions? Uh, yeah. Is it medical? Yeah. It's like, you wouldn't, I always say this, you wouldn't ask a person if they're eating fish, well, why aren't you eating beef today? Why don't you want the chicken? 
You would just let a person eat fish, <laughs> you know. It's the same reason. If I'm drinking water, it's just like for whatever reason, I want to drink water or whatever yeah, I just, I'm drinking. Yeah, I don't worry about what I put into my body. You know, it's yeah, my body. <laughs> yeah, but here's what I found, though, too, is that, I mean, again, and people are all very comfortable with what levels where, where they're at in recovery. Right. Um, I, I am obviously – I do not shy away from, from my recovery journey. And I am very public and, and I get that. That may not be the norm for everybody, no, I hear you. but, but when I do do that, when I do do that, it, it certainly opens up doors or at least questions because I can uh, guarantee you, um, there's probably a few people at that dinner the other night that probably have a problem with alcohol. Probably. And that might be, or want to slow down a or, little, or at least slow down. Right. right, or at least and just slow like down. they have to part because a lot of people feel like they have to participate in these things because otherwise they're going to be viewed as not a team player. Yes. And I can, and that's what I always get. I How can, are you not a team player just because I refuse to drink? And it's I can like, guarantee oh, a- you, there there was probably people at that dinner the other night that were thinking that because again, at one point you had four, five, six glasses that still had one. Each one of those, you just couldn't. They kept serving it. So you well, when you drink. talk about, but you talk about the legal profession. We're just going to yeah. talk about the legal profession. Yeah. yeah, they. You can go to the state bar, and they will say here in the state of Texas, in almost any state bar, seventeen percent of all attorneys have issues with addiction. Mm-hmm. We're not just talking about alcohol. Yep. We're talking about drugs, gambling, and another ten percent for mental health on top of that. Right. Yeah. And so, at any function, you know that there was if seventeen. That's one out of five. Yes. So out of every five person, if you had almost everyone, there's someone that's probably yeah. thinking it. And it's always good to have the example. And I always, and I always here's a, a thing that kind of intrigues me. A lot of people, when they get hired, whether it's a white collar job or a blue collar job, they always have to go through before they're hired some type of P test, drug test. Mm-hmm. But then later on, when they have to do some type of certification, I ask people, well, do you have to redo any type of drug testing or random testing? No. 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 Just just when you get hired. Just when you get in the, the door. Just get in the door and then, you know, you can do – and I'm always amazed as if companies – and I'm, a, I'm assuming it would be a legal landmine, <laughs> but I think it would also be beneficial for the corporation as well as the person – that random drug tests are not a bad thing, no. or at least have the conversation, bring in people to talk about it more. Yeah. So then people have other resources. Cause that's to me, one always the biggest thing. Yeah. You know, I've done videos on this. People go, I have a problem, but now what? You know, so or, throwing or, up or, their hands or, is I don't know where to go. Or I'm just too or, scared. Well, I'm, I'm too scared. scared. My employer's going to find out. And right. Granted, we stigma. have protections for that stuff today, yeah. and and it's gotten and it's getting but better. But there's still a big fear. There's, there's a big, big fear, fear from the employee. 100%. Simple. Well, now let's jump into question number three. Yeah. Question three is there. We go. Got some light. Talk to us about the David Ludlow Recovery Project, what it's about, what you're trying to accomplish. Sure. You are on Facebook. You're also on IG. And just as people know, is like I always do with everything, in the show notes to the podcast, there's going to be links to promises. There's going to be links to how to get in touch with David on IG, Facebook. But tell us about the David Ludlow Recovery Project. You know, um, it was designed as really just a platform for me 
really as an accountability thing kind of to the world, right? You know, the more I felt like I kind of put out there, it kind of helped me just kind of be more be accountable to myself that I'm that I'm living, breathing this recovery thing each and every day. You know, right. it, there's no days off, right? I mean, it's, you and I have both seen what happened when folks take days off from recovery. You know, they end up in treatment centers like mine, right? Uh, so quite simply, the page is just to provide um, some hope to provide some, some words of inspiration, um, you know, to provide some resources if, if that's what people are needing. Um, my, my David Ludlow recovery pages are not tied to promises. That is, that, that's just a me thing. Um, that I just want to be somebody out there that somebody could reach out to and say, Hey, I'm struggling and I need some help. You know, um, we've seen what you've done with your life. My life was a train wreck six and a half years ago when I walked into treatment. You know, I mean, I was a seven time felon. I hadn't worked in 10 years. I was homeless. Um, and then to be kind of where I'm at today is nothing short of a miracle. But that miracle can happen for everybody. You even posted on social media yeah. before and after photo. You know what was that? So if you want to actually see what David looked like, go. Was that on Facebook? On yeah, Instagram? Facebook and IG. OK, on both Facebook or Instagram. Go look at his before picture. And now look at him now. And, and what's funny is that before picture, that was 60 days sober and gaining 40 pounds in treatment to tell you how bad it was. <laughs> so it could have been even a It was worse a lot picture. worse. Right. It was a lot worse. But we again. We were showing ribs. We were showing uh, all kinds yeah, of Yeah. I mean, I, I, gaunt look. I was dying. I mean, there, there's. Correct. Right. Because addiction, like yeah. we always say, is a, addiction is death. Recovery is life. That's, it's, it's that's almost as that. simple as that. Yeah. Okay, before we now wrap up the 1% in Recovery podcast, any last words, David, about anything we covered or any kind of ideas as we've had this conversation that pop into mind that you want to share to the audience? Sure. Um, Guys, you're not alone. You know, if you're struggling with substance use disorder, alcohol, drugs, or or even just mental health, um, you're not alone. Don't be afraid to reach out. There, there, there's plenty of people like myself, whether you need to go to a treatment or not. If you just need a voice to talk to, reach out. Uh, somebody's always available to help you. All right, there you go. So you'll be able to get in touch with David as well as you can always have the ways to get in contact with me. We both wish you a wonderful coming up to today. Right now is December 30th, 2023. So Tomorrow's New Year's Eve. Wake up January first. Hope yeah, you know it'll in the way you want, and it is wonderful. I always say, man, it's always wonderful to wake up early on a New Year's Day, where I can just embrace the first day of the first year and just welcome twenty twenty four and just know what I want to accomplish this year and in future years. So we both wish you a wonderful. Happy New Year. And with that, we are going to end this episode. Like I said, this is episode one of season five of the 1% in Recovery podcast.